How many of you know or have heard of the computer software PowerPoint? PowerPoint is a presentation software. Uh, Josh informed me this week that when, when you're in connection groups on those scrolling announcements, that is a PowerPoint presentation. So you know what that is. But uh, we're going to talk about PowerPoint tonight in a different way. When you, you think about a point, you think about something you're trying to get across, and a PowerPoint would be something of emphasis and of strength. And tonight we're going to look at some points that I think are very important. Points that I think are PowerPoints for your life and in my life and our walk with Jesus Christ. We're in the book of Judges. Judges is not a book you probably go to often, but it's easy to find. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. So it's about, uh, it's pretty close to the front of the book. This is an interesting little book. Not little books, 21 chapters. Uh, and we're going to study through this on Sunday nights, and occasionally we'll jump in on Sunday mornings because it's got so much interesting things. We don't know for certain who God used to write this book. It was, I, I believe it was probably the prophet Samuel. The Jewish Talmud uh, says uh, with authority that it was him, and I believe it certainly may have been. Uh, th- this is an interesting book in many, many ways. It's a dark time in Israel's history. Joshua, their great leader, had died. Joshua took Moses' place. And now Joshua has died. And this is a book in many ways of chaos. Here is how a lot of scholars define this book. They give it four kind of points. They say it's sin, judgment, repentance, deliverance. And they use different words. They sin, God smites them, they repent, God delivers them. And I think, uh, wouldn't you say that's pretty much like your life and my life in many ways? One author said the book of Judges is a book of sex, violence, rape, murder, war, and mayhem. That sounds like an HBO show, doesn't it? Uh, Not the Bible. Did you get that? Sex, violence, rape, murder, war, and mayhem. That would be one way uh, the book of Judges is described by some people. What's going on? The Jewish people are, are in Canaan, which is the promised land, Palestine, and they're trying to settle it. Now, I want to show you on a map what ancient Canaan, uh, Wayne, throw me that. It's right down there. If you throw it, you'll probably put my eye out. Thank you. That'd be funny to some of them, but okay. Um, now, I'm gonna, you, I'll try to walk you through this. Modern-day Jerusalem, or Israel, I'm sorry, would come down somewhere around in here, and it would border to the Dead Sea. That's the Jordan River. You can see the word Jordan, and Israel runs along that. This is Lebanon, modern-day Lebanon over here. In fact, when Cindy and I got to go to the Dead Sea, you could sit right here and see Israel on one side and Lebanon on the other side. Here's the Sea of Galilee. This is modern day. This is Israel. Now, the West Bank eats up a lot of this. But uh, then when you get up a little bit farther, you're getting into southwest Syria. So the, the, the promised land, Canaan, you read about in the Old Testament, encompass what would be today modern day Israel, the West Bank, uh, Lebanon, and southwest Syria. So it's a, it's a pretty big area. But they are trying to conquer this. And the the book of Judges is named after 15 judges who are found in the 21 chapters of this book. And judges were not kings. Kings are going to come after judges. But they are leaders. They are rulers that God God put in place to help these people. Now, the time frame, this is interesting. This book 
had about a 300 to 330 year time span. Now you think about this, uh, that's an era in the history of Israel, and, and that United States is not even that old. Isn't that interesting? Uh, it started about 1,370 years before Christ, and this period lasted to about 1047 B.C. So this is all 1,300 to 1,000 years before Jesus Christ. Let's dive into it in Judges chapter 1. Some PowerPoints. Here's the first one. Life and the cause must continue forward. No matter what's behind you, no matter what's beside you, and I'm not talking about the person, no matter how tough the future looks, no no matter how pleasant the past looks, isn't it interesting, the past either looks horrible or it looks beautiful when you look back, you know, because you're not not in it anymore, so you, you uh, you can rationalize and emotionalize how wonderful it is, that's why... A lot of times when people are dating, they break up with someone because that person's yucky, and then they, they sit around and cry all the time thinking about, oh, we had such a good time in this tree. And you get back with them, and then on the, the second date, you're going, why am I back with this person? Because we tend to look back a lot of times with not good eyes. Verse 1, after the death of Joshua, that's a huge thing, the Israelites asked the Lord, who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? Now, here is, I, I don't know if the Jewish people choked here, blew it here, uh, but God had normally had a successor for him. When Moses died, Joshua was right there, wasn't he? He'd been discipled, basically, by Moses to take his place. So I don't know if Joshua kind of dropped the ball here. They didn't listen to God, but they did not have a, a leader in place. But anyway, they understood they had to move on. Who will go uh, and fight against the Canaanites? Canaan is the land. Canaanites are the people. Now, the subgroups that you'll see, even some tonight, but we'll see more in the days ahead, you've heard of these, are Hittites, Amorites, Prezites. These are different subgroups of Gentiles, non-Jewish people, uh, in these lands. And he says, who, uh, who will be the first to go up and fight against them? Most of the cities and the fortresses in this area were built up in the hills. That's smart, isn't it? It's better to fight downhill than to fight uphill, if you have any sense. It's better to ride the bike, what? Downhill than uphill, unless you're trying to burn calories. Uh, And and so they built these cities, these Canaanites had, up in the hill country, which was smart and intelligent. And they're asking God, who is going to lead the way as we go? And, and you know, it's neat. They'd lost this great leader who led them for years who was a, boy, he was a personal connection to Moses. But they understood that God still had a task and a purpose for them. Now, I want to tell you this evening, a lot of you, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're going to be going through in six months or in six days. But at some point, we have to put the pedal, metal, pedal to the metal, and we have to put it in drive, and we have to move forward. Is there a time to grieve, a time to reflect? Absolutely. You know, the Jewish people in many ways did things so well. Uh, in fact, if you had a major death in your family or amongst your people, you grieved for 30 days. For 30 days, all you did was grieve. Most places now where you work, if, if your spouse died, if someone, uh, your, someone you love dearly died, you get three or four days off and then you got to go back to work. Isn't that crazy? 
And we wonder why we don't deal with things well. They had, a, they had some great things in place to help with that. But you know what? Even, even with that, after the 30 days were over when they didn't do anything but sat down and, and, and soak in what had happened, they knew they had to move forward. Yes, you need to regroup. Yes, you need to do some more things. We'll see in a moment. But there comes a time when you and I have got to decide we're going to move forward. George W. Truett was a great pastor, First Baptist Dallas for years, in the first part of the 20th century. And he had several quotes that he was known for. One was this. I don't know if it was original with him, but, but he, he would say, you, you have to bury the worker at some point, but the work must move forward. Isn't that a good concept, whether it's literally or symbolically? Okay, I, don't, I hope I'm not being prophetic this year, but let's say I die eating a, a Pop-Tart on Sunday morning. Wouldn't that be a terrible, well, not necessarily terrible, but, you know, you die with a sugary smile on your face. Or God, God calls Cindy and I to go to Polar Bear Community Church in Barrow, Alaska. If Cindy goes with me, you know that she, uh, she was, uh, I had to get her under anesthesia for about eight hours to get her up there. But you know what? I, I hope you'd be sad if we left. But you know what? The work's got to go on. And there's no plans. We have no plans. So don't get excited or don't get sad. I hope you'd grieve. <laughs> but the work's got to go on, doesn't it? You know, I, I've been here 12 years, and we've lost some wonderful ministers have moved and gone to other places, and it always hurts me. But you know what? We've got to reload and go forward, don't we? Last year in our church, we had some wonderful families move to other states, and that hurts. That hurts me. That's tough. But you know what we got to do? We got to load it up and keep going, don't we? What's going on in your life? Is there anything you're holding on to that's keeping you from going forward? Is there anything right now that that's got you like a, on a stationary bike? You're moving a lot, but you're getting nothing done. What a great thing that the Israelites knew their great worker, their great leader was gone, but they knew God, listen, God was still alive. Amen? And I say this a lot, but it's absolutely true. If you're breathing and you're conscious, God's got a purpose for your life. Spiritually, emotionally, with your business, with our church, with your life, you weren't built to go backwards, and really, you weren't built after a certain time to sit still. You were built to move forward. PowerPoint number one, life and the cause must continue to move forward. Here's number two. Always seek guidance from the Lord. Now, you go, well, I've been in church, and I've heard this a lot. You still don't practice it a lot, do you? How many of you still struggle with this? Good. Then listen. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? And the Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have given the land to their hands. The word ask means to seek counsel. It means to inquire. It's the idea of somebody wanting to know information that will help them or benefit them. I promise you, it's not going to take long for these Jewish people to do a lot of dumb things, but they've started off well right here. They've said we've got to move forward. 
and we're going to seek the Lord about what we should do. Now, probably how they sought the Lord was, was that with that uh, ephod. Do you remember this? We talked about this some last fall that they, uh, it's kind of strange. The priest and even some of the other leaders would have this vest called the ephod, E-P-H-O-D. And they would put that on, and there were two rocks, the Urim and the Thummim, that were in this put next to the breast of the person seeking God, and that God would use those stones to show them what to do. How many of you agree that's odd? How many of you are happy you have the Holy Spirit and a full Bible? Isn't that much better? (laughs) It sure is. But you know what? God still spoke to them through that way. And I want to tell you this evening, God wants to to, to show you what to do too. What what were they seeking the Lord? They were seeking the Lord about a war. Who are we supposed to to go up and take this land? I want to just tell you, this was a righteous war. They were fighting evil. They were fighting the enemies of God. God, if you studied the history here, God had given these people centuries to get themselves right and to repent, and they hadn't. So they, they were seeking God about a righteous war, and there is a time for a righteous war. But thank goodness many of us won't be seeking God for advice about that, hopefully, in any time in the near future, personally. What, what do you need to be seeking God about this evening? How about let me just start off and say everything. Philippians 4, 6 says, pray about some things and worry about some things. No, it says pray about everything. Worry about nothing, doesn't it? Pray about everything. How many of you would agree most of us make decisions and then ask God to bless it? How many of you have made decisions and then asked God to forgive you later? You know, probably the dumbest thing ever is it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. That'll get you fired. That'll get you spanked if you're a kid. And that'll get you in trouble with God. The smartest thing is always to ask God on the front end. God's your go-to guy. You, you know, in, in sports or even in business, we talk about a go-to person. That's the one that can score the points, that can make it happen. Your go-to person at work or your friend is someone you can count on. God is your go-to person. And guess what? Isn't this exciting? God is never wrong. God is never wrong. How many of you are wrong? I'm not even going to look. You know, the, the navigation systems today are great, aren't they? I mean, you can sit in your car on your phone, and, and it will show you how to get to Moscow, Russia. Isn't that neat? But sometimes those navigation systems are incorrect, aren't they? I used to have one in one of my vehicles, and, of course, we have them in our phones. And occasionally, Clayton and I go out to make a visit, and Clayton's on this, and this thing's talking to him. Take a left at the next red light. You know how that, that little squeaky weird voice is and then Cindy or Mary calls and they think we have a woman in the car who is that in the car with you who is that it's Miss Bell (laughs) Miss Southwestern Bell Uh, and so Clayton and I are going to try to go to a house in between Rushton and Grambling and when we end up in uh, Natchitoches we realize that the uh, GPS is imperfect and the GPS is imperfect God is perfect You know, think about this. God is batting 100%. Should I date or marry this person? God can give you a 110% answer. Isn't that awesome? Should I go in this business? Should I move? Should I take this job? 
Should I invest my money here? Well, you don't pray about those kinds of things. Yes, you do. You pray about everything. What's God want me to do with my career? What's God want me to do with my life? You pray about everything. Our church has got some wonderfully big decisions ahead this year. I don't even know what some of them are, but we do, I'm sure. How do we figure out the right thing? Well, we vote and we go to the majority. Well, hopefully the majority, but we seek with Jesus Christ first. God's batting 110%. And if you'll get your heart right with God and you'll seek God, it may take time because you're fighting the devil, you're fighting your own will and your own desires, but through the Bible, God will never speak against his word. God will speak to you in your heart through the Holy Spirit. God uses your church. God uses other Christian friends. Seek God and let him guide you this year. PowerPoint number two. Isn't that a good one? Isn't that a needed one? Here's number three. This isn't this week. Don't edit God. Don't edit God. What can an editor do? Now, a good editor doesn't do a lot of this, but an editor can change what's written. They can add to it or they can take away from it. Don't edit God. Verse 3. Then the men of Judah said to the Simeonites, their brothers, come up with us into the territory allotted to us and fight against the Canaanites. We in turn will go with you into yours. So the Simeonites went with them. Now the 12 tribes of Israel. Let me explain this real quick. The 12 tribes come from Jacob, who's also called Israel, from his wives, Leah and Rachel. You know this story, don't you? Uh, he marries sisters and they have problems. The, of course, they're going to have problems the whole time they're alive. But they have these boys and the 12 tribes of Israel are named after these boys. Judah is a strong tribe. Who comes from Judah? Jesus. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? Simeon is a not very strong side, uh, a tribe. So they joined together. Verse 4. When Judah attacked, the, the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Prezites into their hands, and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezik. Now, where was this battle going on? Well, it's possible. We have a map to show you. If you're looking uh, in modern-day Tel Aviv in Jerusalem, now that was Joppa. That was where Jonah got uh, crunched by the big fish somewhere around there. But modern-day Tel Aviv, and there's Jerusalem, by car, that's about an hour apart. It's possible this battle took place somewhere in here. We, we don't know for sure where it took place, but we know what that, that the Israelites sure uh, jumped on them and, and whipped them pretty bad. In verse 5, it was there that they found... Uh, Adoniah, Bezik, and they fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and the Prezites. That Adoniah, Bezik may have been a title. That may have meant his title as a governor or king of this area. A lot of these little, not little, these cities had their own kings. So that's why you can hear about 50 kings or 60 kings is because uh, a town the size of Ruston would have had a king back then. So they, they have their kings. Now, uh, verse 6 and 7 is where it starts getting a little brutal. Adonai Bezik fled, but they chased him, and they caught him, and they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Hold it. 
Don't y'all like John 3.16 better? <laughs> Go to verse 7. But this guy, he's got the greatest attitude from anybody ever who gets his toes and thumbs chopped off. Then Adonai Bezik said, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did. And they took him to Jerusalem where he died. Well, isn't that a good attitude? One thing you got to give Ananias Bazik, he, he was a positive thinker, wasn't he? <laughs> you know, I had it coming to me. Now, let's talk a little bit about this uh, rather strange custom. One, you debilitated your, your enemy. They fought with swords and spears and knives and uh, bow and arrow. And if you didn't have thumbs, that, that was almost impossible to do that. If you didn't have big toes... You would not, your stability to fight would have been extremely limited too. Uh, so it, part of this thinking was, is you were, you were making sure your enemy never could come back and strike you. I, certainly I don't agree with this, but I'm not sure letting prisoners out of Gitmo go back to uh, overseas to kill us again is a good thing either. But that's for another story uh, and, at another time. It was also a way you, you humiliated a person. Uh, I don't know if Cindy will remember, I'll tell you when we get home, but the person that we knew in, in uh, one of the towns, uh, Navasota, Texas, a, a lady, a friend of ours, had had her dad had had his right thumb cut off in an accident. And uh, he was a very nice man, came to our church. But she told me, she said, when that happened, that changed him. It, you know, it just, because I guess it infect, affected his life so much that he was a different man. Uh, she, she felt like, like in some ways a, a humbler and better man, but it, it was a very humiliating thing. And basically what they did is they took them back and they, they lived under the king's tables or in the kitchen and they ate the scraps. So it was a way of, of humiliating them too. It was also part of the thinking a little bit from Exodus 24 about the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth. In Latin, this is called the lex talionis, the law of retaliation. Now, when you read, it's Exodus twenty four twenty one. You can read it when you get home. And Jesus addresses it. When you read that, you go, that is brutal. That is brutal. But really, it was meant to contain retaliation. Now, Janelle, you will confirm this. Josh is an over-retaliator, isn't it? Like, if you walk by Josh and you thump him on the ear, he is going to stick a hatchet in your back. <laughs> and that's even. <laughs> Janelle, is that correct? Yes, that is. Josh, is that correct, pretty much? No, of course not. <laughs> Humbly, he says no. So the law, the law of retaliation really was not initially to be brutal. It was to say, okay, Jeremy and Wes are fighting, and, and, and Wes pulls off Jeremy's ear. Uh, so Jeremy wants to cut off Wes's arm. No, the law comes in and says, no, it's an ear for an ear. So they pull off Wes's ear, and you guys are great friends, and you all share two ears now. Uh, each of you has a left and a right or whatever, so you can, you, you can hear for each other. So that's, that's basically what it, what it was meant for. It was meant to kind of keep things even. But there's a couple of thoughts here I want you to get a hold of. God never told Judah to bring Simeon with him. Verse 2. The Lord answered, Judah is to go... I have given the land into their hands. Judah was a big, strong tribe. Simeon was a small tribe. Listen, part of the reason Simeon was a small tribe is they had sinned and God had 
knock their heads off over and over and over uh, earlier in Israel's history. Some people say, well, Judah was trying to protect them. Simeon couldn't have defended themselves. And part of the land inheritance that Simeon had was embedded into Judah anyway. But here's what eventually happened. Simeon uh, lost basically their tribal identity. It was kind of swallowed up into Judah. How many times do we want to rescue someone or we want to correct someone or we say, the tribe of Simeon can't defend themselves, so we better help them. You know what? Maybe it was God's plan that little Simeon defend itself and get a victory that only God could get the glory from. Maybe it was God's plan to lift those people up if they would live for him and repent and do something miraculous in their midst. Maybe they wouldn't have lost their identity if they would have said, No, Judah. This is what God called you to do. He's got other plans for us. Now, it may be easy to not see the significance of that. But you read verse 1 and 2 again. God didn't say for Judah and Simeon to go. He said for Judah to go. Let's go back and read verse 6 again. Adonai and Bazik fled, but they chased him and they caught him and they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Okay. This was a custom, this was a custom of the Canaanite people. They mutilated prisoners. They tortured prisoners. You go through and you look at the Syria, you look at, you look at the Babylonians. That was some of the things they were famous for. God never told these people to torture and mutilate and maim the prisoner. In fact, here's what God said. He said, when you're going into Canaan, either those people can flee and get out of Dodge or you are to kill them. God didn't say, I want you maiming them and mutilating them and sticking them under your table is some kind of a sick trophy. I believe this is where they started doing a little thing called editing God. And I want to encourage you and me this evening. We don't need to edit God. Amen? We look at something the Bible says, and man, this happens all the time now. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. God really didn't mean that. That was just for then. That's not for now. God doesn't understand the 21st century baloney. God doesn't understand the 21st century God knew what was going to happen in the 21st century back 2,100 years ago. God knew what was going to happen in the 21st century when he created the world. God's not out of touch. It's funny. You see people. Here's some ways we edit God. We got in the habit of doing this. Sometimes you see people who are holy, they're pure, and they're just mean. (laughs) Sometimes you see people who are loving and sweet and they're just immoral. I get tickled and frustrated on Facebook. I'll see these people sometimes they'll, they'll have a Bible verse and then a day later there'll be a vulgar joke. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding. It's like we edit God. How are, where are you editing God this evening? Is it in your morals? I told you this morning how I, one way I edited God that honoring the Sabbath was for everybody else, but not a preacher. 
We edit God by not tithing. We say, well, that witnessing thing is not for me. Or we got everything all figured out and we just don't want to see what the Bible says on a specific issue. I want to challenge you as we dive into this new year, don't edit God. When God says it in the book, let's go with it 100%. Amen? Amen. When God's Spirit is confirming what the book says and He's confirming in your heart what you need to do, you obey Him 110%. God doesn't want us halfway. God wants us all the way. Don't edit God. Don't edit God. So here's what I want to challenge you this evening. You're a Christian. Let's make some choices tonight. Let's make them personally. Let's make them corporately. Let's move forward. Let's not edit God. And let's seek Him in everything we do. Christian, maybe this evening where you're standing or at the altar, you need to say that prayer to God. This is who I want to be. This is how I want my year to be. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd like to join our church. We would love for you to. You need a church. We need you if God's leading you here. When we stand, you come tonight and join us. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christ follower, you come this evening and give your life to Christ. Let's stand. And as God leads you.